Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Nick Kovacevic. And Nick is CEO, co-founder, and chairman for Kushko Holdings. Uh, we're going to learn a little bit more about Kushko and Nick's background in the cannabis business and what they're doing to help develop and expand the market with all sorts of supplies and other service offerings. Uh, With that, Nick, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. So why don't we talk about your kind of background and how you got into cannabis? I'm always kind of curious with folks that are in the cannabis space, leading these cannabis companies, how, how they how they got into it. What's the background? When did you first get involved in cannabis? Yeah, it's a great question. I'm sure you get a, a lot of uh, fun answers to it. My story is uh, you know, fairly interesting. I, I grew up in Santa Cruz, California, which you know is known as a cannabis community, although I, I definitely was not involved. I was uh, more of an outlier there. I was into basketball and not surfing. And, you know, that journey through basketball led me to uh, go to college at a few different places, ended up in Missouri, of all places. Um, <laughs> Midwest. Yeah. yeah. Midwest. I was, I was living in a, a town of 10,000 people. It was a Baptist town. You know, certainly the ideas around cannabis 
in, in that part of the country were vastly different than, yeah. than where I come from. But I don't I don't know if you could get much more different from Santa Cruz to, <laughs> to Missouri. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, you know, I had a, had a unique experience. You know, growing up, my my dad was a assistant district attorney and prosecutor, and you know, kind of found out later Interesting. that you know he was putting people in prison for marijuana back in the nineteen <sighs> seventies. So you know, coming uh, from more of a conservative background, uh, go, you know, finishing college in in a conservative part of the country, uh, moving back home, getting connected with one of my buddies that I went to high school with, Mr. Dallas and Bimbo, uh, who's on our, our board of directors at Cush. Uh-huh. We were talking business and really it was, a, you know, originally I got into this industry for the business opportunity. Yeah. So, and when, when was this? Give us a, give us a day. Cause these, these days so, become important. <laughs> yeah. So th- this was 2010. Okay. All right. Uh, 2010, we were doing, doing some other business together that was not cannabis related. Dallas had started a moving and storage company in college and we operated on college campuses. And so we were doing this business and, and, you know, entrepreneurs looking for other opportunities stumbled upon the cannabis, uh, at the time, medical marijuana collectives that were starting to pop up around the state of California. And in, you know, being an entrepreneur, you go to a business like that, that's doing well there. It's a dispensary that's, you know, in some instances doing 20 or $30,000 a day of sales, Yeah, but it's, you know, sort of hiding in plain sight and you have a, you know, you have an opportunity to knock on a door that nobody else is knocking on. Yeah. And as a young entrepreneur, you know, why do I want to go in an industry and compete against a million other people when, you know, this industry is something that's right here in our home state and it's not really being marketed to. Yeah. Um, so that was really the genesis of, of getting into the industry and starting to figure out where do we want to play? And of course, with my background, with my you know, father used to put people in jail. Yeah, that was something we wanted to avoid. And <laughs> jail, that it, is. <laughs> yeah, and it would seem like the the best way for us to play it was to come in with something that was ancillary. Yeah. and we saw packaging as a great opportunity because it's something that's involved in literally every single transaction. Yeah, but the products that you're selling, you know, don't contain any THC or CBD. They're they're you know plastic or, you know, hard goods. And so that, that was really the opportunity is, you know, we, we can buy these products, we can market them to an audience that, that nobody else is marketing to. And, you know, we can, you know, initially it was, Hey, we can make some money. Yeah. Yeah. I think I get the idea that you saw the business opportunity. Yeah. Uh, what was step one? Was it figuring out package suppliers? Was it figuring out, was it a developing product? I mean, how, how did you go from, Hey, I think there's an opportunity here to, you know, let's take a first step and do some investment or, you know, actually start working on the business. Yeah, it was, uh, we, you know, we looked at the products that were currently being used and certainly a lot of people were using Ziploc bags and, and we saw a few people using uh, more of these medical grade containers. And, and there's these pop top vials that, you know, were being used. Uh, we weren't the first to bring them to the market. I like to say we were the first ones to make them cool. Uh, But, you know, we saw that and we said, look, this is great because this is something that's a pharmaceutical grade solution. It's child resistant. So it'll be compliant in in however the market develops. Uh, But it's different than the traditional pharmaceutical packaging, which was the push and turn vials that, you know, you, you'll get if you go to a, a, a Walgreens or Dwayne Reed today. Got it. Yeah. So pharmacy, uh, the, the pill, pill bottles that you get out of. Pill bottles, yeah. Yeah. And so we thought this was going to be a good opportunity to create, you know, mass market something for the cannabis industry that, you know, was in line with what it was being called at the time, which was a 
medical industry, but also different because certainly the folks that participated in medical marijuana uh, weren't the same folks that were uh, your traditional pharmaceutical goers, right? So we, we saw this as a sort of a niche. And, and the first thing we did is we figured out where we could buy them from and we ordered a container. Um, and yeah. that at the time it was from China and we're now producing 100% of those popped up vials that we sell uh, here domestically. But at the time we were we were started by sourcing that a container from China. And then it was how quickly could we sell that container and, and put some money together together to buy another container. Yeah. And that's really how the business started. And you primarily, this is all California at the time? Yeah, at the time it was all California. And, you know, we started to make some inroads in Washington and Colorado. And the big unlock for us was in 2014 when Colorado legalized. It was the first state that had stringent requirements mandating child-resistant packaging for every single sale of cannabis. And our sales as a result went from less than $20,000 in calendar year 13 to over a million dollars in calendar year 14 because of these two rule changes, which was rule implementations, which was adults now can have access 21 and older. Uh And that added about 20x to the marketplace. And then by the way, every single one of those transactions has to be in a child resistant container. Yeah. And this is interesting because I think a lot of companies or a lot of uh, leadership teams, CEOs kind of complain about regulation and about how difficult it is, you know, when the government kind of steps in and uh, controls an industry like this. In this case, it, I I can't do the math fast enough, but 5,000%, something like your business in one year from $20,000 to a million dollars one year just because of regulation that got put in place by the government around how these products needed to leave facilities. You know, I guess, did you see that coming or was this kind of fortuitous uh, set of events for you? You know, I, I wouldn't say we necessarily uh, had had a straight line of sight to this the, the whole way, but, you know, we started to figure out that this was going to happen and then we started to embrace it. And, you know, we've basically from that point on decided that, uh, you know, the regulatory component to this industry was going to be something that we needed to be experts in. And of course, regulation, like you mentioned, in a lot of industries can stifle business. For us specifically, in this case, it, it helped our business immensely. But what we found over time was there was a healthy balance of regulation. That's what we ultimately advocate for. So there's certain things that, especially when you're dealing with something like cannabis, that's a hot button. Uh, there's certain things that you just, you have to prevent, right? And and certainly child uh, ingestion of cannabis is one of those things, right? If, if kids are getting access to this product and getting high or, or getting sick or going to the hospital, it's not only going to be bad for the business that's that sold that product, it's going to be bad for the entire oh, yeah. industry as a whole. So, yeah. you know, we have to make sure that we're, we're regulating certain aspects in the industry, and that's definitely one of them. Now, we've also seen industry overregulate and, and have massive qualifying conditions, uh, requirements needed for medical access. So, you know, if you can't get medical access, if you have PTSD or stress, anxiety, or chronic pain, you know, those markets are not very vibrant, and there's there's not a lot of a lot of people that want access are forced to go to the black market. So we we've advocated for regulations not only that protect and 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 are somewhat restrictive, but we've also been big advocates for regulations that allow, you know, for broad access to the plan and, and allow for these markets to really develop and open up. Yeah. Um, so I have a bunch of questions on the business, but before I go there, I just wanted to see, I'm curious what your experience was, you know, being, you know, the son of a, of a DA who was, you know, basically <laughs> prosecuting uh, this. What was the dynamic like in terms of, you know, family relationships, friends relationships, as this started to take off and you're now, you know, uh, you know, a co-founder, you know, CEO of a business who's, who's growing dramatically in 
in the cannabis space, was that was there any kind of blowback or any kind of navigation that you had to do with with relationships? Well, certainly, I think uh, the biggest thing for me was coming from you know where I had just gone to school. My last two years was in Missouri. I had a school where you know I was a I was a, a, one of the star basketball players. Yeah. And I had a, a networking base that I'd established. Uh, those relationships were pretty much dead to me at that point, right? Nobody was going to be supporting me in this new industry. Yeah. And then, you know, you go to, you know, friends and family. And, you know, at the time it was, you know, a big surprise, uh, you know, what industry are you in? And and then, you know, it, it eventually became, but you're not directly touching the plant. And then that was, that was somewhat more okay. Got it. You, you know, now we're, People are calling me and they're trying to get into the industry. <laughs> now you're everyone's best friend. Yeah. So, you know, you just see this big evolution. And and for me, you know, originally, as I mentioned, you know, what drew us to this industry was the ability to try to make some money and, yeah. and seeing an opportunity as a, as a new entrepreneur to go into a market that was relatively untouched. But what we quickly learned, and it was a, gr- and it was a phenomenal learning lesson for me, was that everything that I had been told about cannabis was, for the most part, inaccurate and wrong. And it created this stigma that, you know, quite frankly, we're all still trying to fight today. Even though we've made a lot of progress, it's still there. And seeing people with my own eyes whose lives are positively impacted, if you know, people that have, you know, muscular, you know, diseases and, you know, by using cannabis, they can now relax and they can talk and, you know, people that need it to manage stress and pain and, you know, to sleep at night and, you know, just that whole other side and and kind of coming from where I'd come from, it was really interesting to be able to, you know, change my own mindset, which, which happened fairly quickly. Um, and then take that and, and, you know, become an advocate for changing other people's mindset. And, and back to your question about friends and family, you know, that's, one thing that I've really tried to do is uh, try to get people to open up their mind as my mind was open uh, years ago and start to change their beliefs and, you know, do my own small part to help destigmatize this industry and this, this plant. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, I think it's a fascinating process and I've, I've talked to, you know, many different people that have had kind of different backgrounds and different kind of uh, starting points, but everyone's kind of gone through the, you know, I guess I won't call it an awakening process, but at least an education process around, Mm -hmm. you know, about the plant and the the stigma and also kind of understanding, I I think the the fascinating part of cannabis, is not just sort of the medical or efficacy, but, you know, really the political, social, cultural, you know, situation or the, the history of it and, and understanding, kind of why we're in the situation we're in or, or we're going through the process we're going in terms of legalization and and the state by state and federal laws and all that I think it's a it's, it's a fascinating story I mean really in, in all sense of the word so uh, so let's talk about the business a little bit so hit upon an angle to the cannabis market that you know is a brilliant one meaning that you've got uh, you're selling a replenishable that needs you know needs constant new product you've got these states that are coming on board what were the big challenges from the business once you realized that you had you kind of hit a, a good strategic niche? Like, what were the what, what did you need to focus on next in terms of making the business work and scaling the business? Well, uh, we could talk a, a whole hour <laughs> on, on on that subject because you know, as as you in any business, right, you're always going to be evolving and developing, yeah. and, and certainly, you know, that's been the case for us. I mean, really coming into this industry, you know, finding a niche with with a certain type of vial and then understanding not everybody wanted that vial or that jar. The next guy wants something different and the next gal wants something completely different than that. And so as a, as a result, we've had to expand our product offering 
very drastically. I mean, we have one of the most robust offerings in this industry, which includes, you know, 1,200, 1,500 different SKUs. And not only that, but the ability to customize and brand those SKUs. Now, not everybody wants a, a generic vial. People want to put their brand on it and yep. to put their marketing message on it. And so, you know, we've had to really, you know, doing custom projects and, and branded projects uh, has been very challenging, uh, managing the workflow, you know, timelines, uh, being able to deliver the quality that's required. Um, so we've had to build robust processes around that, uh, be able to, you know, really fine tune and, and dial in our, our supply chain, which is an ongoing process. Uh, we're constantly having to tweak and, and evolve our supply chain as you're a, yeah. well, one point in time, you're a small business selling X amount of units, then you grow and you outgrow that supplier, you need a new supplier, and then you outgrow that product line, you need to and, you know, evolve into a new product line. And so, you know, we've been doing that as every single year as we've developed. Um, but the biggest challenge that we've had, and I think is a similar challenge a lot of businesses face in this industry, is access to capital. Uh, this is a capital intensive yeah. business, especially for us. We're, we're a distribution business and, you know, we're not a technology business where, you know, you build some software and it's scalable and then you can start to turn it on, you know, globally. Yeah. For us to grow our business, we have to physically buy more product. We have to physically store more product and we have to physically ship more product. And these hard goods have a cost associated with them. And so we've you know, seen our, if you look at our balance sheet, our amount of inventory on our balance sheet grow substantially uh, year over year. And of course, how do you get the cash to fund that? Well, in a traditional industry, something like hard goods, inventory, um, that can be uh, collateralized and that can be uh, lended against and and you have banks that will give you a line of credit or or you know lenders that will factor this industry has not had any of that now it's starting to change yeah but you know early days there was no access to debt there was very little access to equity funding and so you know I spent the first three years when we decided that we were really going to start scaling this business the first few years of the business it was just our own capital and sweat equity yeah. um, but 2014 to 2017 I was out knocking on doors and you know over 200 accredited investors uh, wow. to raise you yeah. know, something like $10 million. Wow. And it was a lot of, a lot of hard work. And then, you know, finally in 2018, the equity capital markets really started to open up. And so you were able to get family offices and smaller institutional investors uh, to start to fund some of these companies. And I think now in 2019, we'll see the debt markets start to open up as well. So things are changing, um, but that's been a constant battle is how do you grow a business when you're growing 200%, right? right? Or roughly, right? And that means every three months, you have to buy 50% more product wow. than you were buying three months ago. Yeah. And yeah. where do you get the cash to fund that? And that's been a constant challenge for us that, you know, obviously we uh, were continuing to solve for. And I think we've put ourselves in a very strong position competitively because we have been able to solve for that when a lot of the people that we compete against simply haven't had access to that type of capital or haven't had those types of balance sheets to be able to support the infrastructure and the inventory required to service at the scale that we are now doing. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's just a great example of how, you know, any business in any industry really is is governed by constraints, you know, and if it's, you know, source of materials, if it's sales, if it's talent, if it's uh, real estate, you know, there's always some governing factor. And it's fascinating to see a situation where access to capital is is the limiting factor, is the thing that, that defines how quickly or slowly you're 
and it's it's interesting to see how that kind of market um, or the different types of capital or access to different types of capital is kind of opening up. Um, and, and I'm assuming, I mean, I, I guess what have been the big changes in terms of either you know regulation or laws or uh, things that have impacted you most in terms of the capital, access to capital and the types of capital? Well, I think that number one, the Canadian market, Canada becoming federally legal, companies like Canopy and Aurora and Kronos and Tilray able to access the mainstream, you know, U.S. exchanges, the NYSE and NASDAQ, and being able to start to shed a light on the opportunity in the space. And they, I've obviously done it, you know, from Canadian and, and, and global standpoint, um, but it sort of opened the door for people to start to take a look at the U.S. market. And so, again, this all started to change, you know, really in, in, in mid-2017 and, and 2018 was just a big you know, I think market where you actually saw these companies start to list on the major exchanges and the real institutional capital start to flow in. And of course, that had a, a trickle down effect all the way down to to businesses, you know, throughout the industry that, that were operating in the U.S. or in various states throughout the U.S. and also, you know, other businesses globally. And we've seen, you know, the markets improve for countries like Australia and Israel and, and you yeah. name it. So yeah. that was a big catalyst, in my opinion. And then, you know, sort of investors also, you know, had a stigma. And as cannabis has continued yep. to become, you know, less and less stigmatized, more and more public opinion and support behind it, investors aren't as fearful to come in and and invest, not from a business standpoint, but from a reputation standpoint. So I think the Canadian uh, market shed a light on the business opportunity and the the popular opinion and, and desegmentation here in the U.S. Uh, started to change appetite from a reputational standpoint. And, and the combination of that is, is basically been a, an initial unlock of capital. Now, I think the funds that are playing today, these aren't, you know, the trillion dollar funds of the world. Yeah. Uh, they're still relatively small players. Mm-hmm. And I think there's huge opportunity for family offices and, and, you know, private investors. I think over the next five years, you'll see that transition into, you know, more mature capital markets and the larger institutions will be playing this space. So it's still on the, uh, you know, second or third inning, but mm-hmm. it's all happening and, and we're going to watch it right in front of us. Yeah. And not, not to mix uh, basketball and baseball analogies, but. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm curious, you know, just in, in your role as as the company has grown and gone from, you know, uh, $20,000 a year, you know, through this, you know, fairly significant expansion, what have you kind of found in, in terms of your own kind of transformation, you know, change of focus? What, what have the, been the things that you've had to kind of either adjust in the way you, you know, approach things or what you focus on or, you know, kind of the skills that you rely upon? What has been, what have been sort of the meaningful transitions for you as, as a um, you know, as a CEO? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, for me being uh, a CEO that, you know, has a focus on the public markets and capital, you know, raising and M&A activity versus being a, a highly operational CEO and, and you know, more strategy and, and corporate development um, than, say, day-to-day operations. You know, I've definitely seen a focus of where initially it was all about PR, it was about getting your name out there, about being able to get in front of investors and, you know, get them to know your story to, you know, now where there's been, you know, several companies that have emerged as real players in the industry. And I, I believe that we're one of them, uh, where now the institutional investor community and, and analyst community and, you know, people have already, they, they know us, right? And they yeah. know the other players that are 
you know, up there as well. And there's taking a new focus on looking at financial performance and execution. And so being able to you know, go from a period where it was just, hey, how do we get our, our name out there? How do we get the word out there? How do we get people to look at us to now, hey, people are looking at us and they're taking a deep dive and they're questioning us, uh, you know, why why is this growing at that rate? And, and you know, wh- why are we not doing this? And, you know, how much do we pay for that? And so, you know, having that sort of focused, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, you know, the community looking at us and saying, you know, hey, we're, we're tracking your performance. Now you have to sort of change your your focus and say, hey, we need to operate. We need to execute yeah. and we need to deliver on, you know, the commitments and the promises that we've essentially told Wall Street. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been very interesting. And, you know, going in, you know, early days where it was about how do we how do we grow this thing fast? How do we, you know, get revenue? And, yeah. you know, we were looking at a lot of M&A activity, acquisitions and stuff that could accelerate us to now where, you know, the business is growing organically and it's less of a focus for us and more of a focus on how do we just execute on what's working? We we know that this we have a nice position in the market. We know that our products are adding value to our customers. How do we enhance that? How do we make our operations better and smoother and more efficient? How do we deliver on a, on a better level of customer service? So just a shift in thought and a, and a shift in how we act. Um, but ultimately, we can't expect it not to change again. We know that, uh, yeah. you know, this industry is like dog years, people say. And so you know, <laughs> for nine months, there, there'll be a new focus. There'll be a new thing to pay attention to. And we need to be highly dynamic, proactive and reactive and, you know, very focused on being able to continue to execute on the initiatives that we put forth. Yeah, I like to say that we're a year in most businesses is a quarter in cannabis. We compress everything to that. Yep. So let's talk a little bit about where the business is going. So you started as Kush Bottles, I believe, and then you're now Kushco uh, Holdings. Tell us a little bit about why the change, what that change represents, what's the kind of underlying strategic thinking in terms of, you know, position of the company or, or what the company is and how that's transformed? So we, you know, we we started as Kush Bottles, as you mentioned. Our main product was the Pop Top Bottle uh, that we talked about. And so that name was very appropriate because you have, on one hand, you have Kush, which is, you know, one of the most potent forms of cannabis or strains. And you have Bottles, which is our core product. Now, we obviously quickly outgrew that as we moved from selling bottles to jars to different containers to labels to gloves and you know eventually vaporizers and all sorts of different stuff and now we're selling butane gas and ethanol so that name no longer fit and as we looked at okay well where's this thing going uh you know it's changed already you know four or five times in terms of uh where we position ourselves in the market. So let's pick a name that's a little bit more broad. We wanted to keep the Kush in the name because a lot of people know us. A lot of people just call us Kush. Yeah. And so keeping the Kush in the name, but making it something broader and a little bit more unique, not just Kush, but Kush Co. And putting the holdings below it so that we could uh, make sure that we had the ability to diversify into any area that we saw fit. Today, we have our main core operating business, which is called Kush Supply Company. Okay. And that's essentially what Kush Bottles became. And Kush Supply Co. is under Kush Co. Holdings. And that's our entity that that sells products 
to cannabis businesses. And the products that we sell are, are much broader than you know the original bottles we started with. So that's where we got the name Supply Co. Uh, because it's a, it allows us to have a very broad and unique offering of, of all sorts of different products. And then by way of acquisition, we purchased the Hybrid Creative, which is a, you know, a full spectrum branding agency market, you know, marketing branding agency that, you know, again, now this is a services component that we can offer as well. So I, I think when you think about Kushco Holdings, um, of course, with the name Kush, uh, we're going to be focused on cannabis and, and of course, hemp as well. Yep. Uh, and we're going to be building a business model around that. Um, but we may have, you know, various products and various services uh, that we offer to that marketplace. Uh, but the goal is to kind of create an ecosystem where, you know, if we have a relationship with a customer, uh, they can come to us and we can support them in a myriad of different ways, thinking about how do we add the most value and make sure that our clients recognize us as a value-added partner. Uh, we don't want to be a middleman. We don't want to be a distributor. We want to be producing our own products we want to be delivering services and delivering a customer experience, helping them with logistics, helping them solve problems and being a connector and letting them use our ecosystem to their advantage. So if they do well, of course, in turn, we should do well. Yeah. And that's the, the mantra that we've kept with is how do we enable our customers, add value, have them accelerate their business. And then as a result, uh, we're going to benefit too. Yeah, no, it makes sense. And so tell us a little bit about your view on kind of where this market is going. So we've got these kind of state by state or continued kind of state by state legalization or, or legislation that's passing that's, you know, kind of opening up um, the different markets. You've got Canada who just, uh, you know, in the in the throes of implementing their federal policies for legalization. And I know there's still the edibles is coming out towards the end of the year here. You know, what, what is, and then, you know, obviously all these other countries that are talking, either doing it or talking about it or talking about talking about it. I guess, where do you see the business really kind of growing, expanding? Is this, are you kind of looking primarily internationally? Are you kind of taking this state by state? What's, what's kind of your assessment and, you know, take on, on where the market's sort of shaping up over the next 12, 24 months? Great question. We have a, you know, a little bit of a different uh, opinion on where we like to focus our efforts. Uh, you know, it's very fun to think about all of the new opportunities in cannabis. I think uh, Europe is a huge opportunity. Latin America, you know, we're seeing progress in, you know, most of the westernized nations. Uh, we're seeing obviously now a fully legal Canadian market that's going to be expanding and, and offering, you know, edibles and, and vape and concentrate products here very soon. So there's a, a ton of stuff going on and it's very exciting to think about and certainly uh, all of it's on our radar. But our approach is really, uh, we have limited resources as we talked about earlier, right? Yeah. The, the access to capital, the ability to scale this business does depend on resources. And where are we going to most effectively be able to deploy those resources, in our opinion, it's going to be where most cannabis commercial activity is happening today and in the near future. And that is, for the most part, right here in the U.S. We have California, obviously our home state, gigantic market that's still developing. I mean, there's only 500 or so retailers open in the legal market. Yeah. That number is going to go 3x within the next 18 months. Uh, you have Massachusetts that just opened their first yeah. dispensaries in late November of last year. Yeah. That market 
you know, when you talk about the Northeast and include Maine, uh, who's already legal, Vermont, who's already legal, and states like New Jersey and New York that are, are making progress to become legal <laughs> for adult use. Trying to make progress. We haven't quite gotten there yet, but. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you think about the size of that, that yeah. Northeast, it's bigger than California. Yeah. And that's all developing right now. It's opening up. Of course, Canada, big market there. The ability for the LPs to ship their product internationally, that's probably the most, the best way to play some of these international markets is to focus on Canada uh, because they're going to be a bridge to Europe and a bridge to Latin America yeah. or Australia. And then, you know, Michigan just legalized. Uh, that market is taking huge. Yeah. Illinois is talking about legalizing and, and the governor certainly you know, behind it. Yeah. So we see, we see the, the, the Midwest starting to open up as well. And, and not to mention, you know, Florida is a very vibrant medical market. They just, you know, overturned the ban on smokable flour. And they're talking about putting, you know, rec on the ballot uh, in 2020, as is Arizona. So, so much opportunity right here in the U.S. That's where we're more focused because it's, it's a, it's quicker. Yeah. Uh, we see these markets, you know, even when a market legalizes, you know, take the November, 2016 election, huge news. We had California, Nevada, Massachusetts, and Maine all vote to legalize, but it's not, it, it, it's not like it becomes, uh, <laughs> they want. you can't walk down to the corner store that next morning and start right. buying. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, I was up, I was up in Canada, uh, toward the end of the year after the October 17th legalization date. And yeah. I was, uh, you know, asking one of the, the big LPs, you know, where can I go get some cannabis? They said, you know, I, I hate to say this, but you're going to, you're going to have to go to one of the black market, you yep. know, the, the illegal dispensary. Yep. And you know, this is a country that's legalized. So yeah. think about just how these markets have to develop. First, yeah. first, they have to pass the law, then they have to implement the law. And we've seen in the U.S. states take, you know, Nevada is the earliest sort of, you know, eight months to, you know, Maine is, you know, up to 28 months and still really no traction there. So, you know, it can take six months to three years, let's call it, to, to roll the program out. And then the program has to gain you know, momentum. I mean, yeah. look at Massachusetts, you know, a couple stores open in November, a couple more in January, you know, a couple more now. We just got our first uh, dispensary open in the in the broader Boston metro yeah. area. Brookline I just mean, opened, it, I think it was uh, a couple weeks ago. Yeah. A couple weeks ago. And I mean, that's, you know, late March. So it, it's all unfolding uh, in the U.S., I think, quicker. And, you know, we want to keep our mind, our antenna up for international markets that, that may, may be opening up. But the opportunity is right here in yeah. our backyard. When you have limited resources, this is sort of the best place to spend them uh, outside of maybe Canada, like I said, which is a which is a great market and, and something that can actually help penetrate internationally as the Canadian LPs uh, are doing business globally. So that's where our focus has been. And then our focus has been around how do we build more products and more value for our customers? So yeah. if we're selling our customers, you know, X, Y, and Z, is there, you know, another category or another, you know, sort of bucket that we can onboard and, and offer. Yep. And by doing that, we're able to get some pretty attractive, you know, cross-selling metrics that, that we actually uh, showcase and report where, you know, we see customers that are spending over half a million dollars with us on an annual basis buying on average 50 different SKUs from us. Um, that's great for us because it, it makes that customer relationship more efficient. Yeah. It also it makes it stickier. We get more tied in with those customers. And so for us, it's, you know, looking at new markets, but also looking at new products and new product categories and yeah. being able to expand and grow with our customers as they 
expand and grow and develop their, themselves into new markets, et cetera. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think that's a kind of a classic mistake a lot of kind of high growth companies make is they they go chasing new customers, new markets when oftentimes their their best move is to figure out how can we how can we expand the the work and the business and the products we're providing our current customers and, and deepen those relationships and and make those more profitable. I mean, that's often particularly when profits are an issue. <laughs> you know, it's the, mm-hmm. the best way to to juice profits is figure out how to sell more to the people you're already doing business. So it makes makes total sense. Nick, this has been great. Uh, a great story, you know, great background. I, I love the um, kind of the journey you went through in terms of founding the business and, and taking it all the way through today as a major player in the cannabis industry. And I, you know, I think you're still in the early stages. <laughs> you know, there's a lot more to go. So I'd be curious to, and and uh, look forward to kind of staying in touch as as things continue to evolve in the business. But thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, if people want to find out more about you or about Kushko, what's the best way to get that information? Well, again, you know, thank you for the time and, and happy to be on the program anytime you'll have me and, and you know, keep up the good work that you're doing and getting these businesses exposed to a broader audience and, you know, certainly um, understanding the, you know, industry and, the, and where these companies are positioned, but also, you know, sort of the, the financials and the execution behind that, I think is, is sort of the next phase in this industry where, you know, again, like I said, people are going to look at that execution and start to measure companies on that. Yep. And so, you know, we embrace it and and we appreciate the, the role that folks like you play in that. For us, you know, Kushco.com, obviously a great, uh, you know, starting point. It's, you know, our investor relations website, Kush Supply Co., Uh, com As I mentioned, that's our main operating business where you can find all the products that we sell. Of course, I'm on Twitter, uh, LinkedIn. Uh, I'm a content writer for Forbes as well. Um, So I'm putting out a few pieces every month on Forbes. Um, So there's a lot of of ways to find uh, us, to find me, to find some of the stuff that is near and dear to us that we're we're out there advocating for and supporting. And we, you know, we have one of the largest sales forces in the country. We have a we have a footprint around the country and, and also in Canada. And we're always out on the scene. I mean, we're yeah. big advocates of supporting the industry, going to the events, whether it's regulatory events or or funner events or, you know, uh, trade shows and, yep. and stuff like that. I mean, we're we're out there on the scene. So, you know, if, if anyone's out there at, at any of these events, you know, gatherings or trade shows or or industry events or regulatory events you know look for somebody from our company and talk to us we're we're very friendly we love to help we are behind the scenes supporting businesses in the cannabis industry that's our job so if you're a business or thinking about starting a business and you want some free advice yeah uh, we're, we're a good place to go to and 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 we're happy to help that, that that's what we love to do and that's ultimately what i get pleasure out of as well is, is being a part of this ecosystem and helping build this community which by the way is becoming a phenomenal business community was always a great cannabis community but it is now becoming a great business community too yeah, I agree. I think it's it's the fun part of being in the cannabis space. It is it is very community oriented. People are incredibly open and and sharing and welcome as as you have demonstrated in uh, giving us so much today. And I'll encourage everyone on the program here take Nick up on his offer, contact them, get the free advice. <laughs> it's going to be useful. Um, and I'll make sure all the links and everything are in the show notes so people can click through. Again, Nick, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. All right, thank you so much. Take care. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.